0: Will the US-China dispute continue to affect your investments? Can China's financial markets finally be trusted? Will the US be able to keep giving us good returns over time? Or are we too late to join massive tech disruptor growth like Tesla and Bitcoin? There are many themes in the investment space and I know many of you guys are trying to stay on top of some of them. So I'm bringing a friend of mine to go around the globe, giving you a broad overview of the markets in 40 minutes across major investment themes for 2021. Welcome to another Choose with TFC session. In this series, we hope to bring on interesting, relevant people to help us learn better from various perspectives. Life is not always about learning from people that you already agree with, perspectives shape a rounder thinker. So, in our pursuit of the life we love or managing our finances, well, our guest for today is the Chief Investment Officer of one of the leading robo advisors in Singapore or some say Asia. Our survey tells us that 60% of you guys actually park money with them. They pride themselves for being the leaders of the pack and from time to time taking investment positions that are not popular while proving they are right. So let's welcome Mr. Freddie Lim from Stash Away. To just kind of kickstart the session today, yeah, for all the audience that don't know you, right, and they just want to get into a little bit of your history and a little bit of your head, just kind of share with us a little bit like how did you end up with Stash Away?
1: Hi, everyone. Uh, uh, pleasure to be here. Thank you, Reggie, uh, for, 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 for the invitation. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Freddie Lim. I'm a co-founder and uh, the chief investment officer of Stash Away. Uh, But just to step back a bit uh, about my history, most people knew me from being a veteran in the financial industry. Uh, I've been around for 20 years uh, on both uh, the sales side and also on the the so-called fund management side of things. Essentially, I caught the tech (laughs) bug four years and three months ago Mm -hmm and left uh, before my bonus was announced at the banks and just decided that if you don't make an effort you will never leave and so i left abruptly from banking and uh, uh, head straight into my own uh, personal venture first um by some chance i because i was involved in the community for graphic designs and i'm looking for programmers i was trying to do something yeah and because of that people got to know me and they sort of uh, recommended me to, to, to meet my future co-founders at mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. And so Michele and I were set up by someone we know commonly. We had a coffee chat, infamous coffee chats. <laughs> <laughs> the coffee chats that changed the world, right? Someone should go and lay, <laughs> lay out the timeline. <laughs> it, well, uh, I mean, uh, the truth about the coffee chat was, uh, was that we actually disagreed a lot. Mm during that first meeting, mm-hmm. but then we realized we have been talking about an idea for two hours or more, but the whole time we were disagreeing and we were brainstorming a solution and we were writing ideas on pieces of paper. So that was the amazing thing because when you can disagree with someone and still keep talking and keep brainstorming and trying to crack a problem, I think you naturally can work together. Yeah. So that for me was the game changer, that meeting. And uh, so Michele, he had a huge e-commerce experience. I have financial experience. And then Nino, I also met with Nino, and who was a serial tech entrepreneur. So the three of us completed the whole loop. In fintech, is really, you need a fin person, you need a tech person, and you need an e-commerce person because we are serving clients, right? So it's a trial, it's not a single co-founder.
0: Okay, that's that's pretty cool, right? (laughs) So recently, I think um, the election has been pretty crazy, right? So everybody has their own thoughts. Everybody is standing on different sides, right? (laughs) Okay, we we don't need you to take a political stand. Okay, but now I think uh, the verdict now is that the election results are out, right? For like a better way to put it, in the US, the Dems control all three houses, right? And I'm curious, like, where do you stand? Are you positive about the US economy going forward, you know, given such a scenario?
1: Okay. Um, here's the thing, right? Uh, if we step back a bit, um, the politics uh, in the Congress um, has sort of uh, uh, stopped the the ability of governments uh, in in the U.S. to ramp up the the new fiscal spending package. And now, with the Democrats having a fifty fifty share now of the Senate, but the Vice President Kamala Harris, she has a swing vote and she's a Democrat. That can make things, higher chance of something happening again on that front. And actually, that's a valid point because so far, central banks have been the one doing all the heavy lifting. If you look at the math, most of the money printing that will multiply itself in the banking systems far more in the hands of central banks than actual government aid. If you do the math, the US Federal Reserve printed $2.3 trillion last year. The number through the money multiplier... Which is at a time five points, five point six times, means you get something like twelve point seven trillion. Mm. Because our banking system is a fractional one. When there's a hundred dollars in the banking system, the banks, big banks only need to hold $3 in reserve, and small banks will have to hold $10 in reserve. And so, but they can lend out the other 97 or 90, right? But even worse, back in March, the US Federal Reserve made the requirement to hold idle cash zero. So meaning banks, if they want to, they can just land and keep doing the loop. And however, the problem is the money multiplier keep falling. Mm -hmm. So the shutdown, the lockdowns, consumer being insecure about their job security or their future, they're hurt and the sentiment's bad. So the velocity of money has come down, which means central banks' policies becoming less and less effective, which means you need the government to step up in the government aid packages so all this will tie in nicely once you think about this right so we do need this fresh government spending while waiting for the vaccine to be short into our arms mm. right we're still waiting right so there's this weird period in 2021 where you already know the future is promising with vaccines but you're sort of in this middle ground where you still need to manage the current wave of infections You still need to manage the new strain of the virus, the mutated one, that's spreading 78 times easier with the same lethal effect. Crazy. Yeah. (laughs) So we still need to manage this and this like little weird gap between last year and 2022. Mm. We have this weird situation to manage. Mm. Okay. So I think you point out a lot of very... um,
0: Fundamental, you know, macroeconomic ideas and you know, financial ideas like money velocity and you know, um, having your kind of you know fractional banking idea, right? Which is which is uh, the predominant narrative today. This is how the banking system works, right? And it forms the base of how economies are, right? The more money flows, and that's the bigger economy, right? The lesser the money flows, and the, the economy will shrink. Fundamentally, that is the motion that we are looking at, right? So based on what you are saying, are you trying to tell me that the U.S. economy will continue to bounce back or we'll come back stronger just because the government is going to come in to spend?
1: Here comes my cold, harsh truth for, <laughs> for myself and all of us in okay, this channel. Yes, yes. We had a nice rebound in number but that could be de- deceiving because if you look at the leading economic index in the US uh, say published by the conference board I think in the worst time it was close to minus 13.5% year on year. And then it rebounded strongly towards minus 2.2 percentage point. So when you see the graph, it looks like a huge rebound, V-shape. But hey, we're talking about minus 2.2. So that means the economy was just shrinking less and less. Mm. It wasn't even growing growing at all. Mm. So let's clear that out of the way, right? We're not growing. Mm. Mm. And then the fact that I mentioned the monetary stimulus through the money multiplier, fractional banking channel, forcefully disconnected the financial markets from the real economy. Mm. But the challenge for the real economy uh, is remains the same. Mm. And what I said just now, there's this weird gap in 2021. I'm talking about the real economy, real mm. people like us, yes. real people working for hotels, restaurants, the, or depending on Trevor, the, the tourism industry, they are really devastated. It will take a while to work it, regardless of what the market is doing, right? Mm. So that's sort of what I'm trying to yeah, yeah. acknowledge so f- here. Yeah.
0: So fundamentally, we agree and we oh. observe that, you know, the real economy is still, um, for like a better way to put it, not doing so well, right? So so it's shrunk and it's it's not growing yet. It's just shrinking slower, right? So then how... Do you then see the relationship with the financial markets, right? Because, you know, some people are saying there's a divergence in the market, and I'm I'm curious to hear your viewpoint. With the economy shrinking, why is the financial market
1: growing? Like I said, you just have to do the math. Um, if you do the math, two point three trillion printed by the Fed multiplied by five point six times, plus one for one, three trillion dollars printed by the U.S. government. That's around fifteen point seven trillion in eventual compounded effect of the stimulus. US GDP before COVID was 21.79 trillion to be specific. So we printed 8.88 months of GDP. Mm-hmm. Singapore did 22%. It was like a big deal. But 22% is only between two and three months, right? Roughly one lockdown. Mm-hmm. What the US has printed is almost like three lockdowns. They can afford it. Mm-hmm. But the problem is also this, that, the overall stock index will be disconnected, but the subsectors that make up the index, some losers can be permanently damaged. So, like I said, airlines, hotels, and but then they pick up the slack by tech doing very well, the pandemic winners. So the market share of tech in the index became way more than before, while ExxonMobil energy sectors were dropped out, Tesla came in, Mm. so the index will rebalance itself and so it was a deceiving thing to read how well the stock market index is doing mm. because it doesn't tell the pain of the losers in the pandemic. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. because that's a broad index, right? They, yes. It averages out everybody. But then with that case, then is there still some form of correlation between the economy and, and the market? Because, you
1: know... <laughs> it's a good good question um, in a sense that there's still, there still is, but uh, there's a lead lag effect now. So in the past, before COVID, you will see that a year-on-year percentage change of uh, output and growth rates, or leading economy index, whatever you you look at, when you do a detrending by looking at rate of change, they do, and you look at the same thing on the S and P five hundred. So don't look at the chart of the price, right? It's, it's, it's quite useless when you actually look at it. But if you look at year on year change on S and P versus year on year change on industrial production or any other metric, they do have a very close relationship over time. However, that was sort of uh, disrupted by COVID. And what happened was that there's a lag effect now uh, for the way economic numbers affect the markets. Mm. And but however, as we're getting out of this into the vaccine progress, it will slowly return again. So without having a crystal ball, you know, am I trying to?
0: Am I hearing that? the market will stay intact and it, you will not see like a big velocity downwards.
1: Let me be, <laughs> let me make it in no uncertain terms yes, to yes. answer your question yes. explicitly.
0: Yes. <laughs> Everyone wants that explicit, you know? A lot of people listen just for this kind of, let, of thing. Let, let's stop be- beating around the bush. <laughs> yes, uh? yes, Is yes, the market going to
1: yes. go up or, go, or not, right? Yes, yes, th- yes, that's yes. what you're trying to ask Yes. Me. yes. <laughs> Fine, I'll tell you exactly what I'm going to say. Mm-mm don't expect the same amount of uh, phenomenal return like 2020 okay it was very surprising to a lot of people professional or not yes 2021 would more likely be a more tempered down but uh, a more average return year for most stock indices and my advice for investors is to not just think about the whole world as one market focus on multiple asset classes focus on different geographies Focus on diversification. Mm. Yeah. That's really ultimately the story for this year. Yeah, and that is
0: what you've been, actually, that's been your core for forever, since forever, right? Broadly diversified portfolio. We'll get into that in a while. But before that, I want to just kind of hear your final words about the US economy, right? Because the US still forms the, the biggest stock index in the world, right? And, you know, 50% market cap, right? So what is your take on the US stock index over time and, you know, the economy?
1: Well, like I said, more normalized return yeah. year, but that's misleading. You need to exactly. also view it yeah. where depending on where you come from. If I'm a Singaporean investor, in Singapore dollar terms, what would be, if I invest in the U.S., what would be my SING dollar return that I would expect? And I have to account for the fact that the U.S. dollar, the weakness can come if we have another government spending package. Mm. Uh, given the amount of money that's printed in the U.S., uh, maybe the dollar depreciation trend is still intact. And hence, I may see a high return in dollar terms, but in single dollar terms, yeah, yeah. maybe not so great anymore.
0: Yeah, I'm feeling it.
1: <laughs> but you did say, like,
0: they can afford. Right, like you, you, did say like the U.S. can afford, you know, still printing and, and doing this whole thing. Like like Singapore is only doing, you know, two three months, and the U.S. can do eight months, ten months of you know stimulus to support the economy. Could you just kind of give us a better idea why do you think they can support this thing?
1: Well, uh, whether you are a Bitcoin fanatic or a Chinese <laughs> yuan fan, or the digital yuan that's going to the blockchain to fight Bitcoin one day, whatever you believed in, the f- the truth is today. The entire trade system, the world economic order, is dominated by U.S. dollar as the central reserve currencies. Their ability to borrow, their ability to print, remains so. And hence, the U.S. is, and they're not shy about depreciating dollar because the U.S. dollar policy could actually be a very, very long-term one. We've seen in the past, right, depending on the presidencies, you can have a 10-year, a whole decade of, a policy of weakening dollars, mm. just to support growth, you know. So that can actually come back again, right? But again, I am not in the business of fortune telling. Yeah, because it's very event driven. Yes. Whether Biden will be able to actually pass more government spending in 2021, but if they do, U.S. dollar depreciation can accelerate again. Mm. But if they fail, the U.S. dollar can go up in my face uh, after I just said this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right? Fundamentally, it's about recognizing that foreign exchange risk is real, and you got to look at that, right? Which brings me to the whole idea of building a portfolio, right, which is where you're, you're a pro at that, right? And so, so. We- <laughs> come on, everyone knows, okay? So, so when, when you're building a portfolio, I think everybody has their own views, how to go about building a portfolio, right? So um, could you just kind of help us understand how do you build your own portfolio?
1: I don't really have a view because we don't use a view-based approach. We are very systematic. We have actually a very detailed investment process. So for example, in the first stage, like I don't even look at funds. I look at asset classes first. So you know, what are the asset classes in the world? And then you look at all these asset classes is available. Can I choose differentiated ones? What's the point of having South Korean equities and then uh, European equities and then US equities? If you look at their numbers, they're all highly correlated. Mm. So we want to look for differences in behavior so you have diversification. So you can also build in risk management because they're different, right? And you can source pockets of return from different places, like a musical chair. They all take the turn to give you return, but not all at once. Mm. That is actually the essence of portfolio construction. Yeah. But most people treat it like a trade, and they just go, "Is the market up or down?" Right? Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. <coughs> so I would just leave you with that because the processor can go on for three days. But
0: I, I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so I I get the whole like MPT thing. You start with you know um, equities, and then you 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 refine over time with the limited correlation and trying to
1: find the beta and all those kind of stuff, right? So so it doesn't like like very very mm, calm. Yeah, but you can likes. do better than that. Yeah. Uh, MPT is a nice framework to start, but mm. um, we modified a lot. Because returns are not constant over time. Yes. And as your economic environment changes, right, you can move from growth to recession, or you can move from growth to a growth plus uh, inflation, or you can move to a recession plus high inflation. So there's really four economic regimes that we have seen so far in the history of financial markets. And you sort of need to look at the behavior, the return behavior and the risk behavior of each asset class, how they change in each different economic environment Mm. and you need to be able to be able to do that data-driven work so that you're not surprised when the economic regime change Mm. before you and i retire in the next i mean for me maybe 30 years hopefully shorter for you longer you're young um but well in our lifetime we probably see six seven more changes in the economic environment big changes like go through a few more recessions right so for me is to be able to analyze those big 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 society level changing changes and preparing for them Mm. so so what is the kind of economic environment that we will be
0: in in the next 10 years
1: if you look at financial market you imply from the pricing it looks very rosy it looks like covid never happened (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and, and the reason is that it was forcefully fully disconnected by monetary policy so we accept that the real information comes in the leading economic indices and all year on year change and those things is actually still on the way to be mending trying to be 0% growth and, from a very negative level but it's losing momentum except for China and a few other economies most economies in the world after the huge rebound they're actually starting to lose momentum. And that's why it's so tricky in 2021. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So,
0: so in such an environment where there's limited growth, <clears throat> other than some of this big, you know, uh, like China specifically, right? China is probably the only few countries that's, that's getting like serious growth, like for the largest economy, right? So in such an environment, then what are some themes that you guys are looking at?
1: Well, um, the, no, main, no, I'm really, the I'm clearly trying to dig your head. La. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, I think it can be a three-part question. But on the first part, which I'll lead you into is, yes. let's answer your question first, right? What's the major, major theme for us at Stash Away this year? Sector rotation. What is sector rotation? Well, Robert Glyph did, well, <laughs> pandemic winner last year. Mm-hmm. Now we got vaccine. Yeah, we're waiting for mass production and distribution, but it's coming and the market is forward-looking, right? It's going to start thinking about it. It's not going to wait. And so what happened is, you start seeing beaten down sectors starting to change. Starting to, the underdogs are going to start to rebound, right? Maybe not to the extent that, you know, Thai country in this is going to just bounce. We're so heavily dependent on travels. Or maybe not airlines and hotels, but an asset class in the middle like that Real Estate Investment Trust in Singapore is one great example. Love it, love it. I love REITs in Singapore. Love it, yeah. Yeah, you get good quality uh, income, and you also have this potential for rebound, right? Look, look at our malls now. I mean, thriving. I couldn't find a seat. Just look at the restaurants we have, (laughs) the bookings, and I mean, the traffic's are back even without a vaccine, right? Exactly. Exactly. You need to find those niche and sector rotation is the biggest theme. Keeping that mindful, being mindful of that you open up to a lot of uh, surprising opportunities in 2021 it's not just a stock index going up or down or higher return or lower return you can find more return by working harder looking at niche mm. so that's
0: point one yes <laughs> okay yeah, that's cool I, I love that love reach just you, saying you, you want more it was yeah. that not enough <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> anymore i gotta work here <laughs> 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 right, so is, is that any opening <laughs> but yes yes i i love that yeah because that to me that has been like what i'm looking at recently also because you know i think too many people are too broad-based right going into the sector rotation very defensive interesting stuff right but with that being said right um are you concerned about like the sectors in different countries per se then right because when you're investing in different countries then there's this whole element of currency risk but i know that you're not big on hedging currency right it's a you have a different way of building this thing right so can you just kind of help us understand like Um, if you don't hedge currency right then how do you like use that to your advantage because you 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 tell me like you use that to your advantage i'm like how do you do that
1: well, actually, this is one of the most important part of the stash away algorithm, but I'm, I'm happy to share here because mm. the principle is important um, mm. rather than the exact formula. But yeah, I know, yeah. I know. <laughs> <laughs> most yeah. people will tell you that, oh, currency risk is bad, bad, bad. Oh, you should be always at home, home buyers, but then they complain Singapore market returns so low compared to, right? This is dilemma. Yes. Actually, currency exposure can be used wisely. I mean, can you imagine if you have you are global investors, you're investing everywhere, and to hedge everything back to sync, think about that, that cost. It's going to kill your return, right? Mm-hmm. So instead, we actually have a currency ap- approach where we use currency as another way to reduce surprise extreme risk. We use currency exposure to create portfolio insurance. And I'll give you an exact example. Before COVID, and it's in 2019 in August where we stashed away, we were actually, we were very long on US dollar. Times were good, couldn't fortune tell that there's a pandemic, um, but markets doing well. But that's exactly the time when market, global markets are doing well. You need to have enough safe haven currency exposure because the next thing that can happen is a surprise that goes the other way. So during COVID, what happened was safe haven currencies like US dollar, Japanese yen, Swiss franc, massively outperformed every other currency in the world. And we were ready for it because we had a lot of it pre-COVID. And that's by design. The algorithm is designed to do that. And during COVID, our Singapore investors gained 7.5% in currency terms to offset losses in the underlying assets so they stay within their risk limits. Our Malaysian user made 8.9%. Right. Mm-hmm. So you got to just build in that thing when times are good, you build in for the bad stuff. When times are bad, which is exactly in March, times are bad, we actually went the other way after the market rebound. Uh, we, we actually in May we reoptimized our portfolio again and we kill all exposure to US dollars. And that's because now we're worried central banks are printing a lot and the US dollar is gonna depreciate a lot. Mm. But so that's a flip around and systematically we did it and we again we save ourselves a potential yeah. Lost about 15 percent actually. Uh, Trade weighted basis 12.3 yeah. versus saying maybe is about 9.2. Yeah, pretty uh, crazy. I saw yeah. it, I was like, dude, damn. And we call it, <laughs> but did we call it because we are humans, or did we call it because we are algorithms that's designed to do so? And it was the algorithm that actually calls it, mm. right? So, so we we are quite um, systematic about the whole thing. It's got to be very data driven, mm. but you got to build in in your system or your models the humility. The humble uh, approach of saying, times are good, let's think about how bad it can be. So prepare for it. Mm-hmm. And we don't like back tests. We like stress tests. Mm. L- that's a very big difference. So is this philosophy, they will strengthen your resilience of your portfolio, uh, to keep your longevity. Yeah. And as long as your time in the market is not knocked out by the, not KO by the market drawing down, <laughs> then you can unleash the power of compounding by being in the market. Right? Yes so i i get it right like um mm. you guys are algo
0: driven a lot of like secret sauce in it right but
1: <laughs> but based on philosophies like i yes, told you yes yeah. i
0: get that right so so i i get the philosophy of you know uh, going to you know a diverse currency portfolio in some ways right so if let's say you know i'm not using stash away right then how do i go about engineering these things into my portfolio because not
1: everybody really why are you not using stash away? <laughs> <laughs> why, uh, you, why are you in my office? Why are you in my office? To cheat, For all of you listening to this, yeah. I offer... I offer a special discount for those who sign up to Reggie's platform, okay? <laughs> yeah, to choose financial coconut, all users yeah. will get a unique discount. We'll work that, the details later, yep, but yep. we offer it to all your users. There's no reason <laughs> not to use Sashway's uh, portfolio because we take care of every little tricky things about yes. investing. Yes. For example, rebalancing is a nightmare when you mm. have a lot of assets mm. and your broker will have what? Minimum trade size? How can you actually rebalance a portfolio? It's impossible unless you have a lot of money, mm, right? Mm. At Stashway, whether it's one cent, $10, or a billion dollars, your service is the same. Mm. We do fraction, because of fractional uh, technology, we will deal with, with you with 0.0001 units of anything. Uh, so there's no reason not to use Stashway platform. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay okay yeah yeah so you guys you know all right well we'll get the discount code and share it with you guys <laughs> but but go, okay going beyond the u.s right so we, we spent a lot of time talking about the u.s because i think that's still you know the main driver of the of the global economy but going beyond the u.s um what are your thoughts of like maybe like the chinese equity market right because like you know u.s china trade war, well, all these kind of stuff yeah right? so i want to hear where you where it's you stand. a it's a
1: good one yeah. we get that a lot and it didn't matter mm. but but let me slow down um I think actually the US-China-China tension is creating opportunities. Uh, what, what do I mean? What you have now the Chinese no longer trust the US as a, as a partner in trade that can supply you the parts to your chips, to your apps or to your tech. You, you needed to now worry about having your own semiconductor industries, having your own chip making uh, capabilities because you can get sanctioned by the US and you're not getting your parts. Like Huawei's case, then what do you do? You don't have a business anymore. Mm. He so, doesn't even
0: get by his daughter,
1: just saying. <laughs> it's <laughs> well, not even about chips, huh? <laughs> yeah. It's okay, so, okay. <laughs> well that that aside, yeah. right? um, that means the Chinese are now in the next 10 years gonna be massively investing in their own tech ecosystems, going stepping backward from the internet of things and going back a bit to the other, the value chain and say, I want to have my own capabilities and chip making, semiconductors, 5G networks. That means the whole tech systems now, one day the new world economic order, is not going to be dominated by one superpower. It's going to be two superpowers splitting the world into two, minimum. And as investors who are looking for opportunities, you need to be able to invest in both uh, superpowers. You can't just say, I choose US or I choose China. As a diversified, intelligent investors, we need to find ways to invest in both because both are important, right? The next Silicon Valley is China. That I don't think that's going to change. But U.S. offer established growth, right? I need both to, mm-hmm. to come together in a portfolio, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll leave you with that first because otherwise you I wouldn't stop for three days. Yeah, so. yeah, I know, I know. So, so then to...
0: Okay, another very big question in, in the community, right? It's about... Now that we understand, I think a lot of people get it. Like the Chinese economy is growing and you know, we want to get exposure in it, right? But how do you go about getting exposure in the Chinese market, right? Do we go to Hong Kong or do we you know, how do you go about doing it? Right?
1: I, I, I can't give you exact details yeah, now, but they're yeah. coming to Singapore too. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, okay. there's a lot of effort by the fund managers yeah. trying to sort of uh, list the same offerings in, on SGX as well. Mm-hmm. I think there's a trend to try to harness it. But Hong Kong, yes, is more dominant, but you can also access it in the US. Uh, we for, for example, Stash Away invest in KWEB, which is a Crane Shares uh, China Innovations ETF. It's listed in the US and is quoted in USD, but it's 96.5% China exposure and 3.05% Hong Kong. The rest are cash. So it will have Alibaba, it will have all the big names that you are you, you think about, they will have it. So it's not really about US dollar, it's really about Chinese exposure. So whatever you want, there's a lot of choices today to go into it. There's also iShares, Hang Seng, Tech, ETFs, that's listed locally in Hong Kong as well. So you have plenty of choices these days uh i i will stop here because there's so many names yeah, i know we don't want to name drop right yeah hashtag not sponsored drop. yeah, <laughs> yeah
0: they are, like they don't
1: pay me yeah to yeah, say yeah. This. i know i know i know yeah
0: hashtag not sponsored yeah so it's, it's, we're not name dropping it's just trying to get some ideas that you know actually there is an increase in uh, access you know to to get a lot of these things and you don't need to be too concerned about you know whether you need to invest directly in hong kong or do you go to uh, the us you know uh, i think uh, the global financial market is is increasing its you know avenue for you to get some exposure to the chinese market right so yes.
1: don't need to be too concerned about that but in the in the broad you know but, 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 but should not we be concerned about the antitrust thing in china that alibaba and N financials is now in the crosshair should, should mm. we talk about that yeah 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 yeah, <laughs> so, yeah let's talk about yeah, that yeah yeah right? okay yeah so so should we be concerned about that <laughs> What? Yeah, you well you cannot ask me, man, right? I'm here to ask yeah, you. Yeah, but 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 uh, yeah, sorry I reversed I reversed the chair, but yeah, yeah. You know, like I yeah. it's sort so of like it's defensive to to to, yeah, to defend, yeah. right? So no, you just for
0: me I'm not, I'm not very concerned, right? So because to me it's a very political, you know. Okay, look uh, at the numbers. Yeah.
1: The crane shares that I mentioned to you just now, uh, if you look at say to the end of September last year, so look at the quarter and into to today, it's up fifteen point six nine percent. It has 10% in Alibaba back in September last year. And now because Alibaba dropped 25%, yeah. its share in the ETFs dropped from nearly 10 to 7.5. Alibaba dropped 20%, had a huge shares in the, and yet Alibaba is minus 20%, the ETF is plus 15.7. Mm. So the power of diversification is at play here, right? Mm, yeah, it didn't yeah. matter. Yes. in fact it's an opportunity for for people like us on our platform, myself, We are people who try to squeeze out savings every month from our income and expenditure. And we are trying to dutifully invest those savings every month regularly. When these things are temporarily down, we are actually averaging in, right? But it doesn't change the fact that Alibaba is still the big boy in China tech ecosystems. They will work through the problems with end financial. What, 5% of their total earnings is and financial? It's crazy, really. The exposure is, but yeah. yet they're down 20 25%. <clears throat> so it goes to show how market is can be, a little bit oversensitive to the near term. Yeah, yeah. And hence, that's the opportunity for the disciplined investors like you and I. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, wow, thank you. Thank you. You and I. Wow, I love that.
0: Yeah, inclusive. Very inclusive. I like it. Anyway, for all of you who didn't know, like Alibaba is like so big in China. They have like a whole campus for their for their like guys, you know. So you you don't get hired into a company. You get hired into university, right? So they, they call it a Alibaba campus. So it's very fun. You can go and check it out, okay? But uh, beyond... Alibaba, beyond China. I think I think we get the sentiment, right? There are, there are other big economies, right? Like in the EU or like in Japan, right? So what are your take? Because they're not very popular. Not a lot of people talk about it, right? So I'm, I'm curious, you know,
1: what what are your thoughts? Well, there's a reason for that, right? Mm. I mean, uh, the, I wouldn't talk much about Europe, but, but Europe in summary is that for the last 10 years, they've just been messing around uh-uh. uh, since the EU has been formed and they were busy with Brexit. They were busy all kinds of... I mean, it's very disunited, and the pandemic only make the gap more clear. Crazy, yeah. Because some countries are like, hey, this is unfair. I didn't get enough budget to support my country during the pandemic, yeah. right? And, and, and the, so the, the rift is there. But in Japan's case, it's more like lost decade and all, and whether Abe is still in his position or not, it actually didn't matter. Mm. Because um, they, they're stuck in this chronic lack of growth. Yes. Right. But that's not the biggest problem. The biggest problem with Japan is that even if the financial markets do well in Japan, the yen would depreciate. That's mm-hmm. a very typical behavior of the Japanese yen. It's the number one safe haven currency status in the world. When global markets are doing well on the road, the yen cheapens massively. And for international investors, you want to hedge that for sure, but hedging is costly, rolling the hedges is costly right it takes away from return but you definitely want to hedge it but hey why am I bolded why don't I go to somewhere else right and why not China right why not elsewhere so, mm-hmm. so that's why the yen has this conundrum of the, or dilemma where doing well but the currency cheapens so in Sing terms in Malaysian terms in Thai baht terms my return uh, what is it really right mm-hmm. so I just put it out there
0: yeah, so it in essence these two are, are boring spaces. So nobody is really there because you, I mean, fundamentally as investors, we are trying to get yield, you, right? You are trying to make money, and if this is the characteristics, then there is no real
1: yield in this space. Well, I mean, in Japan, what yield? There, <laughs> the, I mean, the government bonds negative. What? Yeah, it's crazy. Like,
0: <laughs> whew, yeah, Japan. That that goes. Okay. You guys can go shopping in Japan, huh, but but maybe <laughs> don't need to work too hard <laughs> about you know getting um. You know any any kind of investment exposure in Japan, right? Like we talk a little bit about cyclicals before, right? Like in in the opening. But then what about the disruptors? Well, I, well I'm, I'm like going from one step to another. Don't no like worry, uh, it's, it's
1: actually very valid. Yeah, yeah, we, you've been very holistic, actually. Yeah. Um. I mean, nice way of saying you're running around. <laughs> <laughs> nice
0: way of saying I'm trying to squeeze as much as possible. <laughs> yeah, because because disruptors are like for like a better way, they get all the media coverage like this period of time, right? So then a lot of people say they're, you know, they're on the roll. It's it's crazy. Well, by by, by
1: default or by the definition, yeah. disrupting disruptors when you invest in them, there will be some elements of controversy mm. because you can't see the pie being expanded, right? Because they these companies are the ones that are disrupting or creating new businesses new industries is taking over the old industries brick and mortar suffering and all but how do you value them you don't have enough observation to value them so the case of tesla is like that you if you look at the traditional metrics of looking at pe multiples right, price earnings ratio you're like well if you just think of tesla as a car maker yeah trading at 170 times of not last year's earnings but future Future. forward 2021 end of the year earnings and you go wow this is crazy but when people look at tesla it's not just another car maker because there's technology being disrupted there it's the industrial revolution uh, going on there where battery technology better storage technologies are happening at tesla's factories that could be a separate business and under Biden, this clean energy 10-year incentives, There is a huge upside for just that battery storage te- technology alone. Then there's a driverless car bed. Then there's all sorts of components where they can branch out because it's a tech-driven car maker. Mm. So I would say there's a network effect going on that can compound that Tesla will be more than a car maker and that's what investors are paying. But having said that, I'm not going to justify the 170 years multiple. But having said that, I'm just gonna say when the multiple is that high, it does come with it a baggage. And the baggage is high volatility. Mm. Amazon's the same in the past. Tesla will be extremely volatile because anything with a huge capex, no capital expenditure on Tesla's part to go into uncharted territory, is like an adventurer, right? So mm. by design it will be volatile the stocks. Mm. But it doesn't mean it's not a good name, or b- but doesn't mean it's a bad name. But just, you got to find a way to artfully make sure when you construct your portfolio, when you're investing in Tesla, you think about your overall portfolio. You don't put 100% of money in Tesla mm. or Bitcoin at 41K. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? And now it's, going- no, it's 35, you, you I think. You think about volatility first, mm. right? And decide the right allocations. But that's exactly what we do here at Stash Away.
0: So that, that is Tesla
1: alone, right? But across the board in, in the disruptor space, I think- Electric vehicles in general, NIO in China because the yeah. government sponsorships, mm. the government support trading a hundred years of earnings. Yeah. And they're all money losing proposition today. Yeah. So I don't know their future. Mm. They're disrupting, they may be promising, but because of the multiple, the volatility, the high volatility is guaranteed. So you just have to inverse it. If it's high volatility, I allocate less but I stay invested in something that can potentially change society, Mm, right? mm. So that is the key here. Mm, So mm. I bring you back to the same point. Okay, Uh,
0: back to the same point, asset allocation, right? Fundamentally, there is an inverse relationship between volatility and, you know, capital allocation, right? So, okay, okay. Well, that's a very good tip, huh? man. We can cut that out. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> okay, in- interesting. So, those are the exciting stuff, right? Like, all your, you know, US, China, you know, all these disruptive tech, you know, um, those are, I think, where most people will find a lot of growth going forward, you know. But what about, you know, your, like, bond markets, you know, like, like
1: where, where, do you, where does bond stand in your portfolio? Actually, it's very subtle because um, don't think that when bonds are are negative yielding, like in Europe, all the government bonds in Europe, uh, any country, you name it, what, five-year bond at minus 90 basis point, right? But doesn't mean that they have no more role in portfolios because if you think about income, yes, they don't produce income anymore. But if the world is going to go into an extreme meltdown, the negative view can become more negative as Europe has already shown us in the last 10 years. They used to be positive, they just keep going to negative territory. (laughs) So that means that the bond became no coupon, no cash flow, but they are more like, they can still have capital appreciation when Mm. the stock markets uh, melt down, right? Mm. So don't forget that there is still that value in having protective assets, regardless of the coupon level. But if you are looking for coupon level, that's the other conundrum. I know in Singapore, we all like yields. So we all like to, you know, we, but actually the return approach in my personal opinion is better. But since we all like yield, let me talk about it. If you want to look for income, then no, government bonds would not give you a lot. Then you start taking more risks and going to corporate bonds. And if you want more yield, go into junk bonds. But my challenge to all of you is if you go into a junk bond that pays you today in the market, what, five percentage point, you, you're lucky if you get that. But f- junk, mm-hmm. Why aren't you in the stock market? Yeah. Because when the stock market does well, the junk bond will do well too. Mm. But when the stock market does well, it's double-digit return. But your upside in the high-yielding bond market is fixed mm. 5 6%. Yes. Right? Or even 8%. But hey, you're still better off being in the equity markets.
0: Yeah. Right? Fu- fundamentally, it's still a relative game. Right? You, you relatively in the equity market, it still outperforms you know, the, the
1: junk bond, right? But For taking the risk of a company defaulting on, on, on their obligations. In mm. this case, they don't pay me coupon, they go bankrupt, or the company fail, the share price goes down. It's the same risk, mm. but the return is way higher being in the equity market and the risk is actually about the same. You're taking the same risk. Right? So why are people so fixated on dividends and income? Why don't they think about total return, which includes the ability to pay dividends? It's true because that is kind of what I observe also. People
0: are so big on like, you know, fixed income bonds or like, you know, those kind of things. Okay, but we're not trying to take a stand, okay? I, I, at least I'm not trying to take a stand. You have already taken a stand based on asset allocation, right? i can right? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone can see it, right? So, so you have taken a stand. But for me, you know, we're an education platform, right? Everything's for education purposes only. <laughs> I'm not trying to recommend you anything. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, but we're having a good time, you know, we're, we're learning, you know, so much, so much going forward, you know, and I think we've, we've kind of like taken a shot at everything, all the things that, you know, most people will actually look at in, in their investment. And that's kind of with the theme for, you know, starting well this this year, you know, in 2021. But if we bring all of them back, right, so US, China, everybody, we come back to Singapore, right? So if we bring everything back to Singapore from a Singapore financial markets viewpoint. You know where do you think we are heading towards, and how should Singaporeans look to invest locally and, and abroad?
1: Well, actually, I would say that uh, the sector rotation applies very well in Singapore. The Straits Times Index, for example, underperformed uh, U.S. indices in 2020 because it's a, it lacks enough exposure to tech names. It's very brick and mortar. Got tech
0: man? This <laughs> yeah. yeah that's, I'm trying to be.
1: I'm trying to. Be, <laughs> i'm trying to be polite okay okay well, what okay. i'm saying is you got airlines yeah. oh okay you got <laughs> you got, you got uh, post office right you got yeah, yeah. uh telco yeah. you got banks, and it's very traditional mix of a small number of names yeah but since the vaccine announcements the sector rotation is going to actually start tilting towards uh, in in the favor of Sing- the streets times components and so Precisely at the moment when our sentiment is disappointed with Singapore market last year, mm. but precisely this is when you should step back and say, uh-huh, maybe this time is different. Mm. So I would say the vaccine is a game changer for Singapore markets. And REITs is uh, one of the biggest, uh, most focused on the area for us as well. As you know, Sashway has a Singapore income portfolio. he has multiple asset classes on shore, and a big component of it, it has about 35% of it allocated to Singapore REITs. For good reasons Mm,
0: mm, mm. okay okay so then
1: should Singaporeans look abroad as as from an investment viewpoint you should always have a certain portion abroad and certain portion here the natural hedged from a currency angle is 50 50 right Mm. because if you have 50% in other places and 50% at home if a home currency is appreciating the other side depreciate but it, it didn't change the mix or vice versa, the other side appreciates the sink dollar is actually weakening. You actually gain from the other side. Mm. So you created a natural hedge by 50-50. Why do you need to go and hedge your investment? You just have to plan your investment more more, more thoughtfully in the, in the, in the first steps, right at the start of investing
0: that is so cool okay cool man like so I think like a Tai Chi master yeah know, and this is a Tai Chi master I'm, <laughs> Yeah, I'm going through a Tai Chi class yeah I, I I learned a lot of things and I think you shared a lot right from all the way from US China Singapore everywhere and you know if you guys have any questions you know come to your telegram group share with us and we will you know shoot it back to Freddie and you know let's continue to um, work hard for this year and grow your portfolio and if you guys want to you know check out Stash Away head over to, to Stash Away okay take care thank you thank you thank Hey, I hope you learned something useful to today and truly appreciate that you took time off to better your life with the Financial Coconut. Knowledge is that much more powerful and interesting when shared, debated, and discussed. Join our community Telegram group, follow us on our socials, sign up for our weekly newsletter. Everything is in the description below. And if you love us want we'll to help us grow, free share the podcast with your friends and on your socials. Also, if you have some interesting thoughts to share or know someone that you want to hear more from, reach out to us through hello at thefinancialcoconut.com. With that, have a great day ahead. Stay Until next week, and always remember, personal finance can be chill, clear, and sustainable for all. Woohoo! Okay. I think um, Freddie shared a lot today with us, right? I I, I kept digging. La. <laughs> Didn't let him off, right? Without digging more good juice for all of us. So I think he did share things like volatility. How do you invest in a highly volatile market? Understanding, you know, things like cyclicals. How do they fit your portfolio, right? So going forward, um, you make your own call. I just want to put it out there that our content is for educational and entertainment purposes only, right? In no way are we recommending you any investment products. You uh, if you want to plan your finances, please look for a licensed financial planner. And yes, if uh, if you enjoy this, you'll have a great time next month. Next month, we're going to focus on investing, 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 right? So the whole month is about investing. And uh, next week's guest, next week's guest is searching, right? From the good investor. He used to be a writer for the Monthly Fool's in Asia. And now he just started his own fund, right? Called the Compounder Fund. So we have a lot of good time talking to him about how he picks his own stocks and how he builds his funds. So it'll be interesting to Hear from someone that went from a retail guy to establishing his own fun, right? So, see you next week. Stay tuned. Ciao. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus,